Hello, everybody. This is the MMM Podcast. This is Larry Dobrow, MMM Senior Editor. And we've got a really good one for you here today. Um, we are joined across the country from uh, Dr. Han Lee, who is the Senior Director of Medical Affairs at Healthline. Um, we will speak with her in a second, but before we get started, um, one or two quick plugs. Um, submissions for MMM's first Pitch Slam events. The three of them will be. I'm closing next week, so please check out our um, any of our online channels for more information about that. Our agency issue, the Agency 100, will be published in June rather than July this year. So the questionnaire form is already open. Please fill it out at your very earliest convenience. Um, we expect a lot of competition for the 100 spots, so the sooner you can give us information, the better. So let's talk to Han. Um, a couple weeks ago in our 3rd M Health Media column, we wrote a little bit about how health media has covered and in a lot of ways not covered the coronavirus. And I thought Han was one of the most articulate and smartest voices. Um, so we decided to uh, bug her again. Han, thank you so much for joining us here today. Well, I certainly couldn't turn down the offer to come back with that glowing recommendation. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So yeah, um, how about this? What, before we you know start talking about some of the things along those lines, Tell us a little bit about your professional background. Um, the two of us have spoken about this before, but it's really such an interesting background in that you know you pivoted from clinical medicine to health tech. Uh, tell us, uh, tell us your professional story. Well, I don't know if my parents thought it was as interesting. <laughs> I trained um, as a family physician, um, which means that you know, as a family physician, I did primarily outpatient care. I was a primary care physician in my past, um, but. You know, unlike the typical primary care doctor, I actually ended up doing a lot of inpatient hospital work. And I even did a stint as a locum tenens traveling physician, and I took care of nursing home patients as well. So I was actually quite lucky because I had a very diverse background and experiences, which gave me a, a profound appreciation for all the struggles that, you know, people talk about, what healthcare is, is like in the real world. I actually got to see a broad swath of it. It gave me just so much respect for the work that physicians do in the community and the huge spectrum of patients that, that need care in this world. So I was in clinical practice for years, um, and by the point where I was kind of living in the Bay Area and I was thinking to myself, you know, what can I do with my medical background, my experience, and my other skills? And, and again, living in Silicon Valley, I thought to myself, I wonder if I could do something else, just something fun and interesting. And with the opportunity living in the Bay Area with all the health tech around here, I made the leap and I moved over to Hippocrates, which is a well-known industry standard for providers. Um, we've created uh, drug and disease references for physicians. Um, I started off as a physician editor in that space, and then I quickly moved over to product management, which was a huge change for us, for me. Because, you know, it was my first opportunity to really do something creative with myself. And I don't know if people realize this, but in, in clinical practice, you never get a chance to be creative. You, you're very regimented in your care. You, you have diagnostic and treatment guidelines by which you must very firmly abide. No one ever wakes up one day and goes, ooh, you know, today I feel like maybe treating diabetes slightly different, really thinking outside the box. <laughs> but in healthcare technology, particularly as a product manager, I got an opportunity to really be creative and to try to tackle 
problem solving in new and creative ways and it's just been a fascinating trip since then. Um, Han, so I think that's you... where I made the pivot. Okay. Uh, Han, I think you touched on this a little bit in that answer, but um, what was there? Was there one moment? Um, was there one day where you kind of woke up and said, "You know what? This is, you know, I'm I'm doing the right thing. I made the right call." Was there something that kind of confirmed your decision, or was it just a series of, "You know what? I was a little bit constricted, and you know, now I'm doing something which a I'm very good at, and b I enjoy doing." Well. You know, I find it interesting that all of my friends and family who talk to me now tell me all the time that I seem the happiest that I've ever been, ever in my career. Um, Because in my role at Healthline Media, I really do live the life that I've always wanted to live. Um, There's a a Japanese concept called Ikigai. Have you ever heard of it before? I have, yes. (laughs) Right. So the concept is finding your true purpose. Um, a person that achieves Ikigai by balancing what they love to do with what they're good at, what the world needs and is willing to pay for. At Healthline Media, what we're always working on is trying to build great content to deliver to our readers, to make sure that they are armed with the best medical information that they can so that they can make the best decisions for themselves and their loved ones. Um, and it's a, it's a very powerful mission. And, you know, we recognize that the vast majority of people in this world will never get to see the foremost recognized cardiologist. But what we can do at Healthline Media is amazing because we can provide them with the best in class cardiology content so that they can really be informed in their conversations with their healthcare providers and that they can feel like they are their best advocates for themselves for their healthcare, you know, and that is an amazing moment. And that's the moment where I realized that, yes, I'm not seeing patients anymore, but what I'm doing has such amazing impact and that's a powerful mission that gets me out of bed every morning. Yeah. Um, to that end, that leads nicely into our next question. Um, the role of medical affairs at Healthline. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. It seems that Healthline you know, leans on this in a way which is very much to the content uh, audience's benefit. Oh, of course. Um, yes. So my team and I, uh, we live at the nexus of medical information, content, and product development. And Healthline Media, we are the largest medical uh, property in the world. Um, We cover content that spans the entire spectrum of all healthcare, including disease-specific information as well as health and wellness, as well as health industry information, Um, anything that pertains to patient safety information. We're also covering information related to patient advocacy and and, um, insurance information around Medicare. Anything that any individual needs to know about their health care is information that we cover. And the medical affairs team works in close collaboration across all of the Healthline teams to ensure that all of our content is medically accurate and that it upholds the highest medical integrity. We do that um, by making sure that we are always up to date with the, uh, with the medical information, with evidence, and we work with an extensive network of medical professionals including physicians, pharmacists, nurses, nutritionists, and specialists who always vet and validate our content before it gets published to make sure that it's all medically accurate, up to date with the current standard of care, and really, really well sourced with the latest evidence and research. 
because, you know, what, when we want to make sure that anytime anyone engages with our Healthline articles, that they can actually feel the palpable scientific rigor behind that concept. Is that, you know, this isn't asking you to dump on anybody else or anything like that, but is, is that what's missing in a lot of health coverage that's on the web, that degree of rigor? You know, there is certainly, you know, you, know, you have a stuffy nose, you know, you go to Dr. Google and, you know, heaven knows what you might find, but it seems a lot of it is kind of shallow. Um, what's your general take on that overall level of uh, rigor? Well, with healthcare information that's available online right now, you've got two ends of the spectrum. You can go to one some site, and no matter what you think you might have, you end up you you walk away thinking you've got cancer. Um, I'm not going to mention any names, but that is kind <laughs> of a running joke. Is that there are certain sites that will it's, it's the worst case scenario. There are other sites that um, are that can mislead the readers into um, thinking a certain way because they have um, a certain motive or a political stance that they want you to believe. And so they craft their content in a way that will lead you to a certain conclusion. What we try to do is be very, very transparent and be very much evidence-based and rooted in scientific medicine. Um, I believe that you know, our role in healthcare is never to decide anything for our readers. Our role is to always have our readers' best interests in mind. When I think about our audience who reads our content, I think of them as if I would, I would be treating my patients. I care about our readers the way I would care about my patients. When I have conversations with my patients in the office, I don't tell them, you know, in a very paternalistic way, this is what you should be doing because I said so. I, what I would do is I would sit down with them, have a conversation about you know, the pros and cons about the different diagnostic and treatment options, laying out the evidence in a way that they can understand. And that's another key point about Healthline content is we, we go through great pains to make sure that our content is very understandable to, to the general reader so that you don't feel like you ever walk away thinking that you're more confused. We go through great pains to make sure that our language is very inclusive and empathetic so that our readers not only understand the information, but they feel like they are represented in the information too. Because ultimately, that, that content really should read like the most empathetic, most caring, most compassionate physician conversation that any person would have in their daily life. Um, to that end, what you're saying, I think, is also shown through in the way that Healthline has covered the coronavirus crisis. Um, but before we talk about the specifics of the way that Healthline has covered it, um, you know, when we spoke, I think it was two or three weeks ago for the story that we wrote here at MMM about some of the health media responses to coronavirus, um, you were largely impressed in a big picture sense by the way information was conveyed, but also the tone in which it was conveyed. Um, a couple of weeks on, uh, do you still feel the same way? Um, what's your general big picture take? I do. I do think that um, the, the media at large is doing a really good job of trying to temper the, the paranoia and, and the, 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 the scare. I think yeah, it, it's hard, right? I mean, I remember when I was young, younger when you know, we only had a few channels and a few news outlets. 
Now, if you wanted to, you could literally stream uh, coronavirus information 24-7 and not listen to anything else. And when you do, you could hear a lot of different information from different channels because the information that comes out is not necessarily validated. Um, and depending on certain news um, networks that you listen to, you could hear different numbers and you can, different, you can hear different tone of the information. You know, some of it could lead you to really be scared and, and panic. But in a general sense, I think a lot of the news outlets, most of the news outlets are doing a pretty good job of trying to give information you know, in a fair and, and an objective way that helps to temper the scare and the paranoia. The thing to keep in mind right now is that, you know, when people compare this current epidemic with previously known epidemics like SARS or MERS, it's, it's a little difficult to compare because retrospective data versus current information that's unfolding right now, it's hard to compare because right now the numbers are, that are still coming out aren't validated. We don't necessarily know it. And so it's, it's hard to do an apples-to-apples apples comparison. I think every single day you hear, oh, you know, death count has increased. New numbers, you know, um, incidence numbers have doubled, blah, 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 and stuff like that. We don't really know what the true numbers are yet because we're still in the thick of it. It's not, we're not on the tail end yet. And, it's, you know, that's why the saying is hindsight is 2020. We're, we don't have the benefit of hindsight yet. So I think what we need to do is have a little caveat with the numbers and, and make sure that we understand that the news outlets are doing well to give us the numbers on a daily basis. It's doing well in terms of tempering the panic. But to understand that, you know, we really don't have the true numbers yet. And I think the other thing is we don't really know how severe it is because as well as the news outlets are giving us the information every day, what they're not telling us is about all the people who are doing well and now coming out of quarantine, fully recovered without any negative outcomes from their infection either. Um, that has to be taken into account, but those don't make as much splashy headlines. You, you see the splashy headlines, another death or another case. You don't say, oh, 20 people got released from quarantine. Yep. Perfectly fine and healthy. Absolutely. And another, and another thing that makes some of those apples to apples comparisons almost impossible is obviously it's a very different media climate than it was during the times of uh, MERS and SARS. Um, you know, as you said, you know, not only could you, you know, do coronavirus 24-7 if you wanted to, you could do it with primary reporting outlets, not even secondary reporting outlets. Um, how, how much do you think the evolution of the media climate, really the expansion of the media climate plays into this as well? Well, you know, in this day and age, when you've got um, direct reporting from people, just random people on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, um, none of those people who, you know, have journalism background who understand how true media and reporting, how important that rigor is, um, you have those people who are just as vocal and, and could potentially just be as, as influential in terms of causing panic. Yeah, the media climate today can be rife with misinformation. We see that all the time in the healthcare space. You know, at Healthline Media, we constantly look at healthcare information, particularly in times like this, 
when there's a potential for patient safety or um, patient risk um, because what we're looking to is to make sure that we provide the best, most credible information because we see we see this as an opportunity to provide credible information to calm people and to and and and, and to really quiet that that misinformation noise and and the unbounded health claims that people are making and you know there's i think there's been countless people who've talked about this what to do in this age of misinformation when you know on the ground reporters who are literally just lay people pulling out their iPhones um, and saying whatever they will without any controls or, or regulation can do whatever they will. It's, it's an unfortunate state, but I think, you know, people need to be aware of this. They need to be, they need to be vigilant in looking for it. And it makes us much, much more driven in our roles at Healthline and in media to recognize that our, our jobs are just that much more important and what we do is that much more important. Um, you know, one of the things that you said over the course of that answer um, about some of the noise that's out there, certainly there's a lot of noise out there. And I think that's one of the things that's made Healthline's coverage of this resonate as much as it has. Um, take us a little bit deeper into Healthline's thinking. Um, well, how, how is there, is there a daily editorial meeting? Um, how, how has the coverage been plotted out? Um, it seems to me it's been very proactive rather than reactive in the way it's been presented. <laughs> oh, you're laughing at that. That's not good. <laughs> I, well, no, I'm laughing at this because I feel like perhaps you've been sitting in on my meetings. <laughs> um, if you ask anyone on my team, and you, I wonder if they can keep, uh, keep a tally on the number of times Tom has said, we are proactive, not reactive. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a guess. Just a guess. Um, yeah. Um, I, I should put that on a card or something. Um, so, so the way that Healthline Media is, we, we, we have a core belief in best practices and due diligence. Um, and I believe that core, those core tenants carry us through whatever situation lies ahead, regardless whether it's your day-to-day or a situation like this where there is a potential for worldwide emergency. We have a multi-pronged approach to our content development. Um, we very much look at what our readers are looking at because we recognize that that is a great indicator of where um, our, our readers are con- potentially confused, and that's a great opportunity to inform and educate. We know that those questions that our readers are looking up online are the same questions that they're going to be going to their healthcare providers to ask. Um, so in anticipation of that, we, we look at those search terms and we provide content to really create the answers that will perfectly at, or as close to perfect as possible answer those questions so that, you know, if the patient or the consumer audience member is not able to get to a doctor, they can still get the answers that they need. Or even if they are going to be able to get to a physician, they at least are really well informed and armed well to have the most educated, most fruitful, beneficial, um, efficient and effective conversation with their healthcare provider. 
So we start off doing that. We also have an amazing news editorial team that's constantly looking at the healthcare industry and the healthcare terrain, and 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 they're intimately uh, in touch with the newsmakers to know that you know what is ahead, um, so that they're able to mobilize and react and 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 create news content very quickly. I find it just absolutely fascinating that any time that there's great late breaking news, um, we're able to act on it and create content within just a few hours. The team is amazing. And then last but not least, we actually have a medical integrity team um, at Healthline Media that constantly focuses on, that's right, proactive surveillance of the healthcare <laughs> industry. Um, I think a lot of consumer healthcare companies, they, they, you know, they create a lot of content, um, and the creation part is actually the easy part. It's the maintenance of the content that's difficult. How, how do you sustain all that information and keep it up to date? We recognize that um, as, as a huge, um, significant, important value to our readers. So with medical integrity, we created a team that constantly does proactive surveillance of the healthcare space and healthcare industry, looking for the things that are most impactful to our audience and our readers, looking at patient safety information, looking at product recalls, looking for information that would impact our content, that would impact clinical decision-making for our audience. Um, so that, that way we can capture that information, make sure that we go back and update our content um, and, and that, you know, our content is all cohesive and internally consistent, up to date with the current standard of care and really well sourced with the updated current body of evidence. Right. So, you know, as I, I like to say it, I want my team to be able to pivot at the speed of healthcare not on any content calendar. You know, it's funny. Um, when we talked a couple of weeks ago, you know, one of the things that we discussed a little bit was about how the coverage of coronavirus can almost be used as, um, I think these might even have been your words, sort of a messaging Trojan horse to talk about things like the importance of flu shots, the importance of good hygienic behavior. Um, has, has that proven to be, have we seen that? I mean, certainly we've seen it on Healthline, but have we seen it elsewhere? The fact that there's been this sort of larger perspective of like, you know, coronavirus is bad, but you know what else is bad? The flu. <laughs> uh, ha has that gotten out there loudly and clearly enough? Well, it's actually something that happens all the time. Anytime we have, um, anytime we have a, 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 an epidemic of any variety, it always goes back to comparing it to the flu. Um, I think it's, it's quite a common practice. Um, it's not it's not because of any other reason than the fact that, you know, on the one hand, I think a lot of health care providers, including myself, want to take any opportunity we can to reinforce the fact that something as mundane uh, as your annual flu is still a very serious problem and that we still see people get, not getting flu vaccines, which we think can be so pivotal and helpful in, in terms of saving lives and helping prevent um, you know, sickness and being out of uh, missing work and missing school and whatnot. I think any opportunity that a physician can feel like they are imparting information that helps their patients, they're going to take that opportunity. Um, so anytime that you have a situation like that and a physician sees that they can inform and educate 
to benefit their patients, they're going to do it. Um, I think the other reason why we see it happen often is it's not because people are, you know, necessarily trying to misinform. They're trying to give information in a way that will help uh, other people contextually understand this new information. You know, when you read articles that say currently there's 47,000 cases of coronavirus, uh, the coronavirus out in the world, and uh, 100 and uh, 1,500 deaths reported. I don't know if anyone can really wrap their minds around what that looks like. You know, like, what what does it look like, you know, in that context? So it, it's pretty rational to be able to do, to say that in a comparator sense, to say, well, in comparison, what that looks like is your average flu hits this many people in, a, in your average year and has this death uh, rate, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, that comparison, though it is not an apples-to-apples comparison, helps contextualize the information so that people can understand it in a personal level so that they can understand what it means to them um, in a personal, relevant way. Um, But I can see where when you do that type of comparison, it, it can also undermine the significance of something, too, you know. By no means, when people say that coronavirus has a lower mortality rate than X, Y, and Z, that we negate the significance of coronavirus. It is a very serious illness. It is something that is potentially deadly. It is something that we're all keeping a very close eye on. It is something to be to be respectful of and to be really vigilant of. Um, the core messaging should still be the same. Coronavirus, just like the influenza virus, is an airborne communicable disease, but you can still protect yourself, and evidence and, and decades of research suggest that you can protect yourself with good hygienic practices, such as not uh, going to work and going to crowded places if you feel sick, covering your mouth uh, if you cough or sneeze, coughing into your elbow, not into your hand or your shoulder, um, coughing into tissue and then immediately throwing that tissue away instead of just leaving it around. Washing your hands thoroughly, washing it for at least 30 seconds with soap and water, using antibacterial gel that has at least 60% alcohol. Um, those practices will help to prevent transmission of the coronavirus, just like it would help prevent the transmission of influenza. Um, one last question on this. Um, is, is it possible, you know, the fact that there's been so much of an emphasis on the numbers, on, you know, some of the kind of headline, quote unquote, headline type information. I mean, is it, is it possible that in a couple of weeks, almost a coronavirus fatigue will set in in the coverage? Um, how, how do you continue to make this not only interesting, but also very useful and, you know, make sure it's still essential information at a time when there is so much of it? Yeah, I think, you know, we we see that all the time nowadays. I think people, they focus, you know, it, it, with our attention span, it's always, you know, that's, that's the forefront until something else comes up. Mm-hmm. Um, with SARS, we saw that, you know, it peaked and then that, and, and there was a widespread um, infection. And then the, the natural course of SARS is that it 
kind of contained itself. We, we actually didn't do much to contain the SARS infection. It kind of petered out on its own. The hope is that the containment um, strategies that we're employing with uh, coronavirus right now will help do the same thing and that the natural course of the virus, particularly as the seasons change and we move out of winter into spring, the natural course of the virus will lead to an uh, inevitable um, con containment control and disappearance, and that our natural immune system will help to start spread um, immunity as well. Um, but in the meantime, yes, there is a concern that, you know, people will start to, to lose interest and start to become um, lax in their in their care and concern about how to prevent the transmission and how to protect themselves. I think, you know, it's still a little bit early. We don't know. We, we try to be ever vigilant and we try to um, disseminate as much information as possible so that we don't scare people, but we keep it at the forefront of people's minds just so that they have the information that they need. It's, it's really still hard to know what's going to happen. This, this particular case of coronavirus really, you know, it, it served itself up perfectly. It, it played out like a Hollywood movie, you know. I mean, <laughs> contagion, scarring. Exactly, I mean, it, it was almost <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, we've got we've got a horror movie that perfectly played out where you had a, you had index cases that sprouted up in an exotic far off location, jumping from animals to humans. Um, and then spreading globally over the course of a, the Lunar New Year holidays. I mean, gosh, Hollywood's going to, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's already been cast, basically. <laughs> um, exactly. Um, but, and then, and then you had a hospital that was built in 12 days. I mean, my goodness. <laughs> um but yeah, you're right. I mean, I think I think the goal, and, and it's actually the ideal goal, is that it will be contained within the matter of a few weeks to months, and that we will start hearing the information slow down, and that it will be, like SARS, something that will be contained naturally as the season progresses from winter to spring, um, and that we'll learn a lot about what 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 we did well, what we did correctly, and what we could improve upon next time uh, when there's another epidemic that is similar. Mm -hmm. All right. We will absolutely be checking in with you on this again in a couple of weeks. Thank you so much for your time. Just a couple of quick lightning round questions and uh, we'll let you out of here. Uh, the, fir the first one, <laughs> uh oh, that's, an <laughs> that's a laugh. Um, what, what are some of your daily reads, whether in health media or elsewhere? My daily reads? Yep. Oh gosh, um, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of the Wall Street Journal, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and um, the New York Times. Mm -hmm. I find I find those to be fascinating. I don't know is that what you're. <laughs> oh, hundred percent. You know, it's it's amazing how some people will answer that question by like trying to come up with the most obscure blog that no, you know, has seven readers and you know. But yeah, you know, the, the mainstream media has been on top of this in a way that, you know, on this and any number of health and health tech concerns in a way that's fairly impressive, given that they're working with a lot fewer resources than they used to. Well, you know, I, I have to admit, I mean, I have an aunt who works at the uh, New York Times, but I'm a, I'm a family physician by my training. I have 
I have an innate curiosity for all things. You know, I it's 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 one of those things about family physicians. We we love all things, but we love to be diverse and, and be curious about everything. Um, I think I I think there's value in looking up, you know, raising your head up and looking above and beyond what your area is. Um, I find I find it so interesting when I read things that are beyond and above my purview in my industry because there are a lot, there are a lot of lessons learned in the world at large that could be applied to your industry if you're just willing to look for them and see them. Absolutely. All right, one more question for you: um, Who, in your mind, are I don't want to say your heroes, but you know, who are some of the people in the worlds of health media and health tech that you look up to? You know, who are some of the people that we can learn from? Oh, gosh. So you caught me. So I was just in um, D.C. recently, and I'm sort of a nerd. Um, <laughs> and I was, I just, <laughs> um, I, I saw an exhibit on uh, salt. And I have to say, you know, and it sounds so nerdy and so geeky, but what I loved about him so much is that he developed this vaccine, but specifically stated that he never patented. And when asked why he never patent, patent, got a patent on his vaccine, he was like, how could you patent something? How could you patent the wind? How could you patent something that was meant for the greater good? Um, it was, and, and it really just spoke to me and just was so inspiring because it really spoke to a person who did something that was for financial gain. It was for something that was meant to help people. And like, you couldn't, you couldn't come up with something that would be more inspiring than that. Say that, you know, cases like that, unfortunately, are so few and far between that it's lovely to hear something like it. It was, it just, it, it stopped me in my tracks when I saw that quote and I was just like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we, you, when you see that, you're just like, <laughs> All right. Han, I cannot thank you enough for your time here again today. You know, I think I said we'd only take a couple of minutes of your time. And as usual, I bugged you for much longer than it. Thank you for being a guest on the MMM podcast. We hope to have you uh, come visit us in person or we'll come out and say hi next time we're on the West Coast. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun. All right. Terrific. For the MMM podcast, this is Larry Dobrow. Many thanks for listening. Take care.